The COVID-19 pandemic will be studied and dissected by so many people from around the world, especially in how the pandemic changed our lives. From any given lens, whether it's through economics, world history, multiple disciplines of science, urban development, or geopolitical viewpoints, the pandemic changed the way almost all of us operate in the world. And as educators, of course, the pandemic changed the way in which we create and develop education. In our previous episode, How COVID Altered Education Part 1, I met with four educators at Army Logistics University in Fort Lee, Virginia. In that episode, we discussed the challenges in shifting from an in-person or face-to-face setting with our students to a distance learning environment. We also spoke about how our assessments of students changed and how we had to adapt to distance learning in order to better serve our students. Welcome to the Instructor's Kit Bag, a podcast for all educators. This podcast comes out of Army Logistics University in Fort Lee, Virginia, and is hosted by me, Nate Ball. In this podcast, we hope to be able to help other educators through discussions of educational topics and techniques that can help us think about our profession in a forward-thinking manner. In this episode, How COVID Altered Education Part 2, I continue the discussion with our educators. Chief Warrant Officer 5, Kurt Steinecke, the Director of Quartermaster Warrant Officer Training at the Technical Leaders College, Sergeant First Class Hayeswood, the Senior Small Group Leader at Logistics Non-Commissioned Officers Academy, Captain Roseland, CCTD Small Group Leader at the Logistics Leaders College, and Ms. Dominique Chatters, Director of the Enterprise Management Program at the College of Applied Logistics and Operational Sciences. And I asked them about the benefits of distance learning over face-to-face learning and what the biggest drawbacks were from distance learning. Mr. Steinecke, do you think that there were some courses or, or even the, the style of teaching where you felt maybe the virtual learning environment is a little bit better than the face-to-face environment? Well, I think for some of the, actually for doing some of the group work, it was kind of easier because you could split them up and you could kind of see, hey, I can set you off to work to the side. I can set you guys off to the group over here. And it's, you know, they could engage on their own without, you know, having to, to be right next to each other. And that actually worked out pretty good for the most part from what we saw with that. There were some things, anything that's not concrete that I don't have to give you, a, like it's just some read, analyze. That was wonderful for that because they could split screen even. Like, hey, I'm, I'm looking it up while I'm talking to you here and I'm reading it off as we're sitting here having this conversation. So things like that kind of lent themselves, I think, a little bit to that virtual platform of, you know, hey, we're interacting in a web-based, you know, situation. But at the same time, I've still got all my automation over here that maybe in a classroom if we're, you know, not everybody has or that, you know, kind of break up into a room and all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're all still in a classroom. So things like that kind of worked out, I thought, pretty good. Sergeant Hayeswood, what would you say are, were some clear benefits of transitioning to a virtual learning environment? What did you find that this virtual learning environment was actually a little bit better for some portions of these courses? What did oh, you find? Oh, I get so excited. Um, so basically, so access to coursework, um, period, anytime, anywhere. Uh, we've transitioned to blackboard.com versus blackboard.mail. Blackboard.com um, provides way more accessibility for students because it's not uh, cat card enabled. You don't have to use your ID card. It's just you log in from any smart device you have, um, and it really takes the the training to the soldier and it, you don't need to bring the soldier to the training so hey I'm limited on time here but I may have more time there they were able to get after it really at a time that was convenient to them even outside of course hours 
Uh, we also found that we were able to prepare and arm students better. Whereas in a resident course, they have to physically come to class, get the course materials, maybe log into the computer. But in a virtual environment, I can send your pre-coursework out to you. Um, if there are some regulations or pamphlets or additional study material, uh, we're able to get that to the students way ahead of time. And they constantly have access to it. So it wasn't like, hey, we discussed it and it went away. They had access to everything for the course at all times. And a lot of students, the feedback that we get back from that, they said they just felt better prepared uh, to execute in class because they constantly had access to the material. Dominique, obviously your, your teaching styles will change. Uh, they just have to by nature of face-to-face -face versus virtual learning environment. But did you find that there was actually certain things or certain parts of your classes that you may not have thought about before, being in a virtual learning environment was actually a little bit easier, either like maybe pre-course assignments or um, read-aheads or anything like that. Did you find the virtual learning environment to be, at least in some part, a little bit more conducive to certain classes or courses? Yeah, I did. We, um, so for those of us who took masters online, you had like a weekly discussion board that you had to do. Well, when we were face-to-face, -face, I didn't do a weekly discussion board. I would do an actual booklet and they would just write their notes of what they learned from that day in the booklet, but it stayed just between me and that student. I incorporated discussion boards into MS Teams and then it generated so much dialogue between them that it was so awesome that I, it was like, why didn't I think about doing that when we're face to face? Because we can't talk about everything in the classroom when we're face to face and especially in the virtual environment, we weren't allowed to have in-depth discussions for the sake of time. So the discussion boards just like took a life of its own and let the students engage each other because it was, I did it just like my master's program, like, okay, everybody has to post by Thursday night, then you have to respond to two of your friends by Sunday night, and then I grade it by Tuesday. And it just took on a life of its own. It was really cool. And I, I would like to incorporate that still once we come back to resident. Okay. And Captain Rosen? So I, I think for a lot of us, I, I think when you notice when you're teaching in a resident class, you notice kind of the human interactions of like, they'll kind of respond with their facial expressions of confusion, confirmation, and the like. Uh, what we realize is that in the classroom it's kind of this interconnected web, not just between the, uh, the instructor, but the students as well. We found out that students are actually fairly confident about putting opinions, questions, like within a special chat function. So again, there's more than one medium. It's no longer just verbal or facial recognition. There's also like a physical function within the screen that you can type in a question. And we've also found that other students, um, maybe they have the answer or they've kind of gotten the material a bit more quickly or they've got some background experience, are able to then answer each other's questions. So what inevitably was supposed to be kind of like a question answer format became essentially a chat room. And that also took off a lot of stress from a lot of our instructors who teach a wide variety of topics that aren't, they're not necessarily going to be subject matter experts on every single one. It helps bridge the knowledge pool in a medium that is saved, you can reference it later, you can go back to a question. And we've seen that students who are typically a little bit more reserved in the classroom are more willing to put in a lot of those questions and answers back into kind of a digital media. So I, I think in that regard, it made, it made things a little bit easier. Same. We had that, I had that same experience too. The Shire, the Shire ones would post in the chat because they're not saying it out loud in front of the whole class. Mm -hmm. Everybody's looking at them as a, ask the question that might not be quote unquote the right question to ask. But in there, it's like if someone happens to see it, it's mm -hmm. someone's gonna answer it's it for me. Anonymity that doesn't quite <laughs> exist. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it also helped because again, when you're in resident, I mean, one instructor versus 15, 20, maybe 30 students, but inside of like, let's say Microsoft Teams or a chat room where you can leverage the entire like staff behind a question, what 
whatever answer that a student generates that one instructor doesn't know, immediately another instructor who maybe has subject matter expertise can hone in on, right? So it, it answers questions faster, as long as you get everybody at the, at the table at the same time when it comes to a lot of these meetings. You just right. gotta set conditions for it for those outputs. Mr. Steinecke, what did you find that was a definite problem with the virtual learning environment, the way we're trying to do things? And when you came up with these issues, like how did, how did you deal with it to try to overcome it or mitigate it in some fashion? Right, so I think one of the, and you know, the, the actual drawback was the kind of the technology that enabled us to do it also could create some problems. Just, you know, if you've got a student that's, you know, maybe at their home or home station or sitting in a hotel and that day the internet doesn't work or their camera decides to break that day or, you know, the actual technology itself. MS Teams is down go. today, Blackboard right. crashes today. Um, some of that stuff. So I think it was just having that, you know, kind of like we always say, the old PACE plan, your primary alternate contingent emergency. As an instructor, just being prepared and making sure the class understands, hey, look, you gotta be flexible. If this goes down today, we're gonna move to this and this is how we'll do it. I mean, I had students that, you know, their computer would go down and I would dial them from my office on the speaker phone so that they could hear and talk to the class that was going on off of, off of my uh, computer just to, to overcome some of those, you know, things that would happen. Cause it, you know, I was sitting at home and you know, hey, the power went out and now all of a sudden I don't have any internet and you know, whatever. So or there you were, get there were things. Blackboard went down and you're like, I didn't oh. even know that could go down. Yeah, that would that that <laughs> happened to us more than once, and so it's hey, you know, especially on like an exam day, so it's having those bat, you know, the, the kind of battle drills again, you know, hey, do we have paper copy exams ready, or what are we doing? How are we pulling? Where are we going to do that? Just kind of the what if scenarios, because if the since we are relying solely on that technology platform, what do I have set up so that when it doesn't work, how am I able to overcome it? So once we kind of got that figured out that there were going to be glitches with it you know, how to resolve it and then just developing those kind of, again, those battle drills, if you will, for when that happens, how do we shift and, and still keep everything going. And especially for our shorter courses that may only last, you know, like our week ones, I don't have six, eight weeks to make up that material. I got four more days or whatever it is. So how would, you know, how do we Well, and on top things? of that, you can't just say, well, because we're having these issues, we're going to forego the assessment. We're going to right. forego a certification. You can't quite do that. Right, yeah, you, you know, you still got, you still got your gates you got to meet. And so how do you keep that on track and, and make sure you get there? And, 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 you know, the other part too, I think was even just, dealing with some of the students' frustration about it. Well, hey, you know, I'm trying to do this, this isn't working. I mean, we had issues with, you know, the, the webcams not working or, hey, I can't get a signal here, but I can only get it over here because we're in this, you know, building and how do I, you know, and so, you know, some of their frustrations as they were, you know, at least with the instructors after the first couple classes, we were kind of comfortable a little bit more with the technology, but each class that we started, it was a new group of students, it was their first time using it, and so you kind of, we're walking them through it as well as they experience some of those challenges that you had with it. Like we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, but it was nice to watch them once they got comfortable. I think that helped overcome that as well. Sergeant First Class Hayeswood. I would say also for students that the modernization and kind of the advancement of technology, we assume, hey, everybody is Gen Z, millennials, every, you know, they're just uh, well-versed in, you know, operating technology. And through the virtual learning uh, environment, that necessarily wasn't the case, even for students as young as 20 years old. They're like, hey, I don't do that, you know, internet technique thing. You know, it's funny, you know, we, we lump Gen Z and millennials at times with, there's still people within those generations who are just not up to date Roger on a lot that. of these things. And we, you know, so a lot of people say, oh, Gen Z, should, they should be fine with it. Yeah. 
Not all, that's not always the case. That's not always the case. And, you know, this is served kind of as a forcing function. Hey, um, I may not be good at it right now when I arrive to the course, um, but through, you know, the virtual learning environment, I've gotten more comfortable um, through, you know, whether it's through practical exercises, even things as simple as correspondence, you know, um, logging in, all of those uh, kind of troubleshooting. Um, that was a big one. Hey, can I solve this issue myself? Whereas, you know, in an operational environment, hey, if my, my M4 doesn't fire, I know the steps to go through to get it uh, to fire, you know. Well, can you do that with a computer? So students, you know, they were working those steps themselves. They were learning, you know, procedures, just, you know, simple type things that they could still function on their own. And it really increased a lot of the confidence, not just with the students, but instructors as well. Um, you know, instructors, we're running out there every day, PT, no problem. But you sit some of them behind, you know, a computer and they're just like, ah. Oh. You know, this is real. Yeah, it's a whole different ball game. <laughs> so um, I think that those, uh, you know, being able to adapt to an unfamiliar environment has really um, helped them to, you know, uh, hone their their skill set. Really, Dominique, what did you find to be one of the biggest drawbacks of being in that virtual learning environment, and what would you say that you or your department or school did to either mitigate it or get rid of that? either obstacle or issue or multiple obstacles or issues? I think the main one I had was the technology. As I said, my demographic of personnel were a little bit older, so they were not friends with technology. So one of the things we had to do is I had a zero week to start my course. And during zero week, it was mandatory for everybody to attend and I would navigate, we would navigate together through all the buttonologies of MS Teams and Blackboard, because we did use both um, simultaneously for a while. And I would have to show them how to do this, how to log in, how to access this, how do you record your, your work product, how do you upload a document? So I went through that. The first course was painful because I assumed that everyone knew how to use technology. After that, we added a zero week, and on week zero was all administrative which is similar to what we would do in the classroom. If we were resident, I would orient them to the classroom, show them where the exits are, show them how to log in, give them their username and password. So some of that just changed because I was actually physically sharing screens. That was the main hurdle. And then the second one was just making sure they stayed engaged. So throughout the class, you know, normally every hour you get a 10 minute break. Well, virtual, I tried to like inject something in between just randomly, just to check. I would make people turn their cameras on so I can see your faces. Um, for those who didn't have cameras, they knew their names were gonna get called more often. If you, chose, if you chose not to turn your camera on, my first question is coming to you, so just be prepared. Um, and then we had little games like that. I had uh, sound clips that I added to my phone and I would just play it like a Jeopardy theme if they were taking too long to answer. I had a, you got it, or come on down from prices, right? I had like different clips just to keep the engagement going, keep it lively because we reduced our class time to only five hours a day, but I made it over several weeks. So some of my counterparts were doing their full two-week course, eight hours a day, two straight weeks. The research papers we've read said that that's not the best environment to try to learn, depending on what you're trying to teach. So we reduced ours to five hours a day, twice a week, over five weeks. So trying to make sure they retain the information um, and that they stayed engaged were the two main things I tried to do. 
Captain Rosen? So I think I kind of echo what I said previously when it came to assessments. So right. we assumed risk by kind of pushing it to the right upon a return of like a residential. Um, one of the things we noticed is that the cost of pushing assessments to the right is that we are now overlapping different topics and then testing them all at one time, which is kind of, that's a recipe for uh, disaster. And so we had to, on one hand, it's a lot of material that we would cover, like essentially two days of class and one day of testing, two days of class, one day of testing is kind of how our normal in-person class would work. And then by pushing even exams to the right, even a little bit, you're starting to kind of complicate things. And so we had to assume some risk kind of when it came to our assessments to ensure that when they returned, we would assess them uh, piecemeal to make sure we gave them time to then focus on one topic, build upon it, work on the group project for like, say, working on estimates or coming up with a plan so they could focus was kind of our focus and making sure that they could stay on track. I think the other issue that we had was experience. We had a lot of uh, uh, instructors who are very comfortable at that point with in-person learning, like face-to-face. But what we kind of recognize and talk to amongst each other after the fact is that when you're doing distance learning, like, and I kind of have a unique example because I was at home at the time when I was trying to do my distance learning, you're talking into a void. You don't know if you're, uh, what you're explaining based on what you see on a screen with your voice, with all the other controls at hand, you do not know and you're not given any indication in real time whether or not people are understanding it until either you see something in a chat log, you see the hand wave over in MS Teams. There's delayed confirmation of understanding. And so what we realize is that our classes would go fairly quickly because there was no feedback. Therefore, you would hit like one slide. Does anyone have any questions? Awkward pause like right now. And then you'd move on to the next one. And then by the time you would finish your course, you would go back to either the chat log or you would just see like everybody raising their hand with a mountain of questions. Again, solved at the end because we have like a litany of instructors that can kind of handle that traffic and answer questions either as we go through at the end. But what you find is that when you're doing distance learning and you're covering a lot of technical information, questions tend to come at the end. And you're doing a lot of kind of feedback to go back through the slides and make sure uh, that you're addressing all the topics. So it's almost there, for our first few run-throughs, we were essentially teaching classes twice, trying to catch up and make sure that everyone was caught in the net. And then we found out that, hey, we actually spent the same amount of time talking about a concept as we did in person. We just kind of sandwiched it in a way. I like what you said, and I'm gonna steal it. It's the delayed confirmation of understanding. Because we, we've all been there. A- anybody who's ever taught now during COVID virtually has done the, here's a question out there. What do y'all think about that? Are you alive? Are, did, am I on mute? No, you know, it, what's going on? And, and that delay. And you think you are on mute and you're like, maybe it's me. Like, maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm the pro- like. Am I the problem? Am I the issue? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In speaking with my fellow educators about best practices and lessons learned, it's interesting to learn about how they viewed distance learning, both in a positive and a negative light. While the downsides dealt with technology issues, learning how to use new tools, or losing some rapport with the students, the upsides were also present. The ability for students to become more engaged in discussion boards, or participating more in chat features with questions and concerns, and using the new technology to break students into more dynamic groups. So join us for our next episode, How COVID Altered Education Part 3. The final of this mini-series where I ask my fellow educators about how transitioning from an in-resident or face-to-face environment to a distance or virtual learning environment 
affected the ways in which our educators approach course design and how they think the pandemic impacted them in becoming more well-rounded instructors. Thanks for listening to the Instructor's Kit Bag, a podcast for all educators. And remember, never stop educating others, and most importantly, never stop educating yourself.